Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Running Mate, a podcast for Brits about the US election. In today's episode, how extremism has gone mainstream. From the Proud Boys to Patriot Prayer, who are the nationalist and radical groups that have risen to prominence in the last four years? What you're hearing there is the crowd at a Donald Trump rally calling for Democrat Congresswoman Ilan Omar to be deported. And you may be wondering how we got here. In his last presidential campaign, Donald Trump was pretty much given access into millions of American homes thanks to Fox News and its highly partisan, adoring coverage, as he vowed to build a border wall and make Mexico pay for it. It was a sign of things to come. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know. That's the president indulging QAnon, the viral pro-Trump conspiracy theory movement. His first term has also seen him describe white nationalists as very fine people after some of them ran over and killed a woman in Charlottesville. While it would be easy to dismiss these groups and ideas as fringe, they are increasingly finding a foothold in mainstream politics, with extremists running for office and having close ties to the White House. So, with Trump determined to campaign on anything but the pandemic, will his tone get even more extreme the closer we get to November? Hello, my name is Graham Demonick from HuffPost UK team. Joining me today are two of my colleagues from the US. We've got Andy Campbell, who's a senior editor on HuffPost's Breaking News Desk. Hello, Andy. Hi, Graham. Nice to be here. Good. And Chris Mathias, senior reporter who covers extremism. Hello, Chris. Hey, Graham. So anyone coming to the podcast for the first time, this is what we're trying to do. I'm a British journalist living and working in America. And at HuffPost UK, we wanted to try and produce something that made sense of the US election. To do that, we've enlisted the help of some of my reporting colleagues from our American team. And this time around, we wanted to tackle the rising tide of extremism in the US. Um, In the UK, people will have seen pictures from America of protests, shootings, piles of rubble, vigilantes, a lot of extreme scenes. But I think we wanted to kind of roll it back a little and figure out who who we're talking about here, who, who, who was kind of the instigators of of a lot of the chaos that we're seeing. And I guess I first wanted to talk about far-right extremists and conspiracy theorists who people in the UK might have heard of. Who, 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 who are we talking about here and, and what, what do they stand for and what do they believe? I mean, the names that kind of come to mind that people would have heard of recently would be QAnon, um, maybe the Proud Boys. Yeah, who are these groups? Andy, do you want to have a first go at that? Yeah, sure. I, I... 
to hear you describe it as a rising tide is interesting because it's certainly risen uh, very quickly in, in recent weeks and months, but it's been rising for, for a long time. Um, Christopher and I have been covering uh, extremist rallies at the ground level since before Donald Trump was elected, and we've seen um, groups both online and off, um, you know, with a with a pro-Trump slant sort of um, out there um, trying to do harm to their fellow Americans. Um, these groups include groups like the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer in Portland, Oregon, um, and, and throughout the country uh, hosting street brawls. Um, they include uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists online um, who are uh, convinced that Trump is working to out and arrest a group of satanic pedophiles among Democrats. Um, and of course, all of these extremist movements have tacit endorsement and sometimes explicit endorsement um, from the president. And so we are working at a time when uh, extremism is not only on the rise, but but uh, it's accepted at the highest levels of government. Chris, the, these people are usually described as white nationalists, some of these groups. Is, is, what does that mean? And is that is that is that what they are? Um, I mean, it depends who we're talking about, but um, I mean, so obviously the, the kind of like more formalized white nationalist groups that we saw four years ago in Charlottesville have kind of fallen into disarray in a lot of ways. Just a quick one. When you hear that sound, I'm pausing the chat to explain a bit of American jargon or a historical reference that the guests have brought up, just so it makes more sense to someone listening in the UK. Here's a reminder about what happened at Charlottesville. In August 2017, far-right activists and armed militia groups gathered in the city of Charlottesville in Virginia. They clashed with counter-protesters in chaotic and violent scenes that lasted hours. Three people died, including a 32-year-old woman who was hit by a car that ploughed into her. Trump refused to condemn the extremist groups, saying there were very fine people on both sides. Um, and so in Charlottesville, like you saw a lot of, you saw groups like Identity Europa and um, um, Patriot Front and yeah, and um, a lot of other kind of skinhead, whatever, uh, neo-Nazi groups. Um, but you don't see them as much at holding rallies these days, um, largely because of the work of anti-fascist protesters at, um, you know, kind of uh unmasking a lot of these people and exposing their networks um that doesn't mean that white nationalists aren't showing up to these far-right rallies they often are um and the groups like the proud boys and patriot prayer um QAnon, uh you know even trump rallies themselves um you know they don't disavow white nationalists when they turn up so what do they st what do they stand for what do they what do they want i mean it's it's kind of disparate i mean the proud boys like you know advertise themselves as western chauvinists they're first and foremost like misogynist and anti-feminist and anti-leftist they're explicitly anti-muslim anti um, and anti-trans um they're often um white nationalists um but their most famous and their kind of sole function is almost as kind of like a militant wing of the, uh, you know, Republican Party. Like they right. are a neo-fascist street gang. Um, they are black shirts. 
in the very literal sense that they wear black Fred Perry polo shirts, like that's their uniform. So they're they're very. I think it's best to understand them as just kind of like a modern American neo-fascist uh, street gang. Whereas whereas QAnon is is, is a different thing uh, in the UK. I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners have have heard of QAnon because it's all over uh, the UK as well. So what is QAnon? Well, it's not easy to understand unless you spend a lot of time, and I mean a lot of time, online. The Q in QAnon refers to an anonymous poster on message boards such as 4chan and 8chan. The anonymous poster is named Q. Q claims to have high-level government clearance and access to insider information. Anon represents Q's equally anonymous army on the message boards, and they spend their time investigating various breadcrumbs that Q periodically drops for them. So what are the breadcrumbs? Well, they're conspiracy theories, and they're many and varied. But in recent months, they've flooded Twitter, Facebook, and other social networks with false information about COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter protests, and the 2020 election. QAnon supporters have also attached themselves to other activist causes, such as the anti-vaccine and anti-child trafficking movements. And you'll see them in the wild too. Wearing shirts and signs that read, We Are Q, they've been showing up at Trump events for months now. And if you think it's a fringe movement best left to the internet, think again. QAnon went mainstream after Marjorie Taylor Greene, an avowed QAnon supporter from Georgia, won a Republican primary and is now almost guaranteed to be elected to Congress in November. Trump has called her a future Republican star. So these are two different movements, but I think where they found success and where they sort of converge is they're they know that if they are pro-Trump, if they are pro this administration, which you know thrives on conspiracy theory and hate, uh, that they will be endorsed. And certainly, uh, Trump and his administration um, and and other government officials have endorsed both of these movements in in, in different ways. Um, and you know, we have we now have QAnon conspiracy theorists at uh, as elected officials. But but I'm sure people will be asking, aren't these just fringe groups that? that should be ignored and we the media give too much coverage to because it's you know interesting when well i I hear a lot you know shouldn't we just ignore these guys um you know won't they just go away if we stop giving them a pedestal and you know what happens when you ignore them is charlottesville happens and you have giant processions of nazis um and conspiracy theorists in the streets and you know to QAnon's credit they have garnered millions upon millions, tens and tens of millions of people across the world who are meeting on Facebook and then meeting in real life. They're meeting all over the country right now. Um, and and we have been sort of screaming this from the hilltops for years, uh, only to have them sort of come into the public forum now because there is, you know, literal bloodshed in the streets in their name. The real fact of it is that these groups are just far less fringe than we might like to imagine. And that's been me and Andy's kind of operating thesis these last four years. You know, these white nationalist groups, these uh, far-right militia groups, you know, just generally fascist groups, have a direct line to power all over the country. Um, and the man for, and the, the White House itself is teeming with people right. with extremist connections. Stephen Miller, you know, was directly, you know, 
one of the most senior people in the White House shaping our immigration policy is, you know, functionally a white nationalist. And we, we know that from emails that he sent, from leaked emails, um, when he was, um, you know, coordinating with, with Breitbart News. Um, and, and also, like, QAnon is not fringe. Right. Um, it, is a, it is essentially the future of the Republican Party at this point. But I'm sure if, if Trump was listening in on this conversation, he'd say that he does disavow white nationalists and extremists. Would he not? <laughs> I, think that, uh... I think that, you know, through his policy and, you know, everybody harkens back to um, Sh- Charlottesville uh, after, um, you know, a, a neo-Nazi plowed a car into protesters um, and killed a woman. Uh, Trump famously said that there are very fine people on both sides, and certainly there were not. But through his policy and quotes uh, leading up to today, Trump has said iterations of that over and over. I mean, he, uh, whether through through you know his immigration policies or just through his speeches, um, he incites and endorses um, violence carried out in his name and has always done so and so i think while you know he may do an offhanded denial or disavowal from time to time it's clear from his actions that he um endorses anyone who is on his side that brings us to more recent events chris what's been happening in kenosha so obviously um i'm sure all the listeners in the uk will be aware that you know America has seen a historic, there's been a historic uprising this summer in cities across the U.S. There's been nearly 11,000 demonstrations um, against police, most of them against police brutality. Um, Recently in a town called um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is near Milwaukee, um, there was a video of police shooting a black man multiple times in the back. It led to um, a mass uprising in that city. There was, uh, you know, there was some looting. Um, and this resulted in some white uh, vigilantes, some kind of far-right paramilitary militia groups uh, turning up to, you know, allegedly to protect uh, property and businesses. Um, one of them was a 17-year-old named uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, who, um, in like a pretty terrible video that came out, um, this was what, last week, two weeks ago? Um he shot and killed two anti-racist protesters and severely injured another. Um, and he was very much a pro-Trump and uh, kind of pro-police guy. And it um, and when Trump was asked to denounce him, Andy, I, I forget what exactly he said. He he largely didn't comment. And then you know, uh, a week later, when a uh, pro-Trump person was killed in Portland, Oregon, um, by, uh, a self-described anti-fascist, um, Trump did comment on that, uh, because of course it was one of his own who died. But I think, you know, what this moment shows our national protests, which have been largely peaceful, although they've, you know, included extremists throughout the years have now turned to, uh, shooting galleries and, whether Trump is silent or endorsing it, um, he's certainly not disavowing it uh, in, in, in the correct way. And so we are in a, in, an extremist moment that is, is, is scary because um, 
you've got the president endorsing and inciting the violence, and then you have uh, his his militiamen and his supporters out there holding guns and waiting for the opportunity to fire upon protesters. And he seems to get a kick out of it. What what maybe people in the UK won't understand is what's in it for Trump to endorse or or not disavow or not distance himself from these people. In the UK, there are fringe characters. Tommy Robinson would be one that you guys would be aware of. Um, the, the 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 rising tide of extremism hasn't isn't as high in in the UK. But but no mainstream politician would really flirt with them the way Trump has. So why why is he doing this? What's his What's in it for him? I think if if we were to write Trump's 2020 campaign slogan based on his actions over the last four years, it would be they're coming for you. And his entire thing has to been to to paint to his voters that the governors of their states are are not doing a good job. The police are not doing a good job. And meanwhile, we've got these anti-fascist, socialist, communist protesters in the streets throwing Molotov cocktails into businesses. It is a scary time in Trump's world, and you need to vote to, for him because he's the law and order president, and he's going to come and, and, and fight back against them. And so when he sees uh, uh, somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse shooting his painted enemies, uh, you know, he sees that as a good thing. And so it, it, it behooves him to support that kind of behavior because the other side is bad and it's coming for you. And these guys are just trying to defend America in Trump's name. And of course, when the opposite is true and, in, you know, an anti-fascist or, or somebody else shoots one of his own, that's the bad thing that's coming for you. I was just, I was just going to ask, actually, can we reflect on who Antifa are and where, where they come, in, come into this? Um, you know, they, they, it, it's, a, it's a shortened version of anti, anti-fascist. Um, Trump would would paint them as he is willing to condemn them, but but who are they and where do they? What role are they playing? It's it's tricky. The the way the right talks about Antifa, um, it kind of they would have you believe that they're just kind of these mobs of black clad, black masked people roaming the streets. Like you said, Antifa just means anti fascist, and I think a lot of your just leftist demonstrators would obviously consider themselves anti-fascists for the most part 98 percent of the work they do is off the streets and it's online research um, exposing fascists in their local communities and across the country and exposing fascists in law enforcement and the military and government but since charlottesville since the rise of trump um the right in america the republican party in america the maga movement has blown Antifa up into this giant boogeyman. Yeah, I mean, the overall pitch seems to be, it's a scary time, um, I'm the only person that can protect you. And he's definitely trying to paint Joe Biden, his challenger, as, well, his, his favorite phrase at the moment seems to be a Trojan horse for socialism and extremism. And we've got a clip, we've got, yeah, we've got a clip now um, where Trump's doing exactly that in a campaign ad. Antifa is destroying our communities, rioting, looting. Yet Joe Biden kneels down and his staff sends money for bail. And Biden fails to stand up to the radical leftists fighting to defund and abolish the police. With Biden kneeling to the left, we'd have chaos in the streets. 
Welcome back to Chris and Andy later, but I've also spoken to Jory Craig, a digital specialist at the democratic consulting firm GQR. We spoke about the rise in disinformation in the election campaign, why it's dangerous, and whether the UK was a testbed for some of the more misleading content you'll see online between now and November. So, Jory, what is disinformation and how much of it is, is out there in this, in this election? Disinformation is false or misleading information that was created with the intent to harm or confuse. It is sometimes confused for misinformation, which is false or misleading information that's out there, but it wasn't put out there with the intent to do any damage. And we have a whole bunch of both uh, that are that appears on social media and is coming from elected officials in our election uh, cycle right now. So, so what kind of thing is this? Is, I mean, people know kind of like conspiracy theories, uh, faked, um, faked videos, uh, faked Internet accounts. What, what's, what's the most prominent type of disinformation out there? Sure. So there's uh, disinformation and types of content that's problematic. So taking any type of information, whether it's a story headline or a factual event and confusing the details or completely lying about the details. There's also problematic behavior that we're monitoring for, which arguably can be more problematic. So that can be making something appear more popular on social media than it actually is. So something that looks like it has a thousand likes actually only really has one like or it's getting a bunch of likes from fake accounts. Uh, that could be somebody cutting video segments together to manipulate a video and make it look like someone said something they did not say. We hear a lot about fake accounts and we hear a lot about deep fakes. It's really more subtle attempts to manipulate information or to take advantage of social media algorithms that we worry more about than those things that get written up in the press, maybe because they are good stories. Right. So what's kind of the purpose of them? What, what, why, why are people creating this stuff? So disinformation is multi-purpose, unfortunately. There's a lot of different motives. Um, there's a couple buckets of motives that we focus on the most. Probably the biggest one and the one that we're most concerned about and the one that's hardest to push back on is disinformation that's created with the intention of eroding trust whether it's trust in an election system or trust in a news outlet or trust in a politician. Um, erosion of trust, it works over time and the steps you take to inoculate against things like that do take time to work and push back. Um, and a lot of what some people tend to do to try to push back on those things can deepen the problem, can make it worse. Other motives might include trying to distract and confuse either voters or the media, trying to get the media to pay attention to something so they move off another topic. Another might be to incite violence or cause an offline harm. Um, you know, when we're talking and thinking about people who are involved in extreme conspiracies or extremism or hate speech, um, then you're getting into harassment and violence, and that is a big part of this but it's really a separate category that is, you know, should be handled in a different way than say just pure disinformation or, or misleading facts. And then finally, there's a huge category of people who are in this to make money. Um, their motive is to sensationalize things and take advantage of people, voters, whoever's willing to click or buy. Um, and there's been a huge industry boom around it uh, as a result. And, and why does why does it matter that we you know we do you know we do something about this stuff? Does it does it actually have any effect on people's behaviour when it comes to 
how they vote or is it kind of no real way of, of um, gauging that? Well, it's difficult to measure what impact disinformation on social media has. I mean, social media is really the big factor here that has accelerated the rapid spread of this and allowed for so many people to be exposed to so much information from messengers that they do or don't trust or are unfamiliar with or maybe assign trust to when they shouldn't. Um, never, never before social media, you know, were we having conversations like this just about the fact that political campaigns spin things. And yeah, what, what are social media companies doing about it? Are they getting better at all at, at, at cracking down on disinformation? You know, it would be difficult for them not to get better from their starting place, um, which was Mark Zuckerberg not understanding how anyone could think Facebook had a role in, in impacting uh, the elections in 2016. So surely they're doing more than nothing. Um, but what they're doing is not enough. You know, they, they continue to take action that you know, skirts around the problem, you know, loosely, loosely touches it. Um, some platforms are applying labels to political speech. Some platforms have decided that um, political ads won't be run, which in the UK, you know, that's very normal for there to be restrictions and limitations on the period of time political campaign ads can run on social media. But in the US, that's not as normal. And frankly, um, it's kind of a cop out because most of the disinformation that's problematic is not coming from political ads. And so, you know, the platforms don't do enough. Ultimately, a lot of what they're doing is for PR and to say they did something. Um, and they have in front of them what they need to do um, to promote trusted sources, to remove disinformation. We're seeing how far they can go with COVID disinformation. So we know that it's possible, technically. Um, and, you know, they continue to not do it for what can only be profit. And did we see much of this during the, 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 the Brexit campaign? If you, can you yes. remember many examples at all? What, what, were the, what went on there? Yes, I mean, Brexit uh, and the UK elections, the many elections you all had um, in between, you know, the, uh, during the ongoing journey of Brexit um, were, were for sure staging grounds for bad actors. I mean, from the start, you heard about how Cambridge Analytica took advantage of voters in that election. But really, even more recently in 2019, there were plenty of examples that were documented about the Conservative Party. I think a lot of the headlines were focused on how mainstream it was becoming because the Tories were really blatantly engaging in some of these tactics, um, you know, directing uh, voters to misleading information, uh, you know, taking things out of context, engaging with um, pictures that were out of context. Um, we saw a lot of that. I remember that there was specific reporting on groups that were targeting different constituencies, um, you know, trying to target Muslim voters with specific information. Um, so I think that, you know, it's really prevalent. Again, there's not one type that that was the most prevalent. I think that every election, and my background is I, I work on elections around the world, and so every election is just an experiment, an experimental ground for these bad actors to, you know, run trial and error. Steve Bannon was living in Europe during the European Parliament elections, um, trying to, I imagine, um, and we know, uh, trying to get his hands on other simulations of what he can then, you know, run in different parts of the world to advance his conservative agenda. And now back to Andy and Chris, where we talk about where some of this disinformation is being circulated. And where does where does the, the, the media play a part in this? And I'm thinking particularly of someone like Fox News and some of the OAN, One America News Network, 
seems to be a, a increasingly favorable channel for Trump. What 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 role are they are they playing here? Are they are they helping to Trump to kind of ferment this ferment this stuff? I mean, Fox News can be viewed as uh, I mean Trump calls up. Uh, some of the anchors on a reg- regular and daily basis to discuss what they're going to say. It can, it can be seen uh, as state media. Um, it can be, you know, seen as the white nationalist network. A number of, of anchors and voices on Fox News are some of our most extreme far-right voices in the country. And it is the number one news network in the country, um, cable news network. And uh, along with its throttle over the traffic on Facebook, which reaches millions and millions more people, um, you know, Fox News has successfully pushed what in any other country would be seen as really fringe ideas into the mainstream. Our anti-immigration, our, you know, uh, various uh, bigoted viewpoints have been, you know, ingrained in America for a long time. But, but, you know, in recent years, you know the white nationalist rhetoric was largely silent. Uh, uh, now it's it, it's it's mainstream to be bigoted, and um, it's a platform. And uh, the conservative movement has lurched uh, uh, far right along with it. Chris, yeah, and I think that's a good description of Fox News. Um, and then you mentioned um, own or One America News Network, Graham. It's basically like Trump loyalists. TV um, and it's actually been interesting. Like when Fox News hasn't been sufficiently loyal for Trump, he has um, kind of promoted One American News Network um, to like make Fox jealous. Basically, you know, I think one extremely interesting story about One American News, and it's and I I can't stress enough how awful and ridiculous um, a news network One American News Network is. It is truly absurd. Um, like chock full of wild conspiracy theories, right? Um, and uh, and one of its main uh, correspondents and pundits um, is a guy named Jack Posobiec, who is um, you know a pretty died in the wool fascist, um, who you know has you know direct connections and has been you know photographed working with collaborating with um, straight up neo Nazi figureheads like Richard Spencer. He uh, is also just has a tremendous reach um, because of Twitter. Um, he has so many followers on Twitter um, and constantly can drive the news cycle with far right spin and disinformation. And to Chris's point, I, I think, you know, it's interesting as an extremism reporter to see, you know, we're sitting here on the, you know, the darker parts of the web that, that, you know, few tread and we're sitting on um, these extremists uh, chat rooms and whatnot. It is insane how quickly the pipeline brings an extremist talking point on, you know, 4chan or, or, you know, Twitter among people with very few followers uh, to Fox news. And then to, sorry, it goes from, it goes from, you know, that the extremist part of the net to like OAN and then to Fox news Fox News plays it, and then two minutes later, the tr- Trump will retweet it. That pipeline has become shorter and shorter to the point where it's all sort of one uh, orbit. And 
And so it is it is wild how quickly an extremist talking point can be mainstreamed uh, to millions and millions of Americans. And that point about maybe fringe ideas now being mainstreamed, are we seeing that in some of the candidates uh, standing for Congress in this in this election? Um, I think two names that I've come across are Laura Loomer and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, from, from my reading, suggests they are conspiracy theorists that are now potentially going to be elected elected politicians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like we were talking about earlier about how, you know, the future of the Republican Party are these people. Um, and Marjorie Taylor is um, running for Congress in Georgia in a district that she's expected to win. She's a Republican. She won the nomination. Um, and she's an open QAnon supporter. Um, and then down in Florida, you have Laura Loomer um, in Florida's 21st congressional district which is actually where Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago resort mansion is. Um, and Laura Loomer is a one of the most vile anti-Muslim bigots in America um, and a conspiracy theorist who kind of earned her, um, you know, she, she kind of rose through Infowars circles. Um, but she has said that she cheered on the death of 2,000 migrants in the Mediterranean when they drowned. She, after the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand when 51 Muslims were massacred by uh, a Nazi, she said very loudly that she did not care about the Muslims who died. Um, she has called herself a proud Islamophobe. She has said that Islam is a cancer and Muslims are savages. Um, and she got a congrats from the president. And actually this week, um, Trump's uh, daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, who is a kind of a special advisor for the Trump re-election campaign, uh, went down and posed for photos with Laura Loomer in Florida. Right, Andy. Yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 issue, and I I think what's changed over the last four years, um, you know, Trump and and has been able to um, sort of. Uh, navigate the the media landscape to where you know he's been able to tiptoe around you know white nationalism and bigot other uh, bigoted ideals by saying ah that's not me that's a fringe thing and as we've been talking about they've been able to paint this picture of of you know uh, the conservative movement not actually being totally attached but adjacent to white nationalists um, and but now you see people like Laura Loomer as rising stars in the conservative movement, Laura Loomer has, doesn't have any politics except to be anti-Muslim. That, that has been her entire platform for anything. And so you see these, uh, these conservative figures upcoming where their only platform is bigotry. The endorsement of Laura Loomer is the endorsement of bigotry, and there is no tiptoeing around that anymore. And so the big change that we've seen is that, you know, the conservative movement cannot hide it anymore. This is a movement that is founded and and ingrained in, in, in bigoted ideals. And, you know, the rest of, you know, conservative voters have to decide whether uh, they're going to subscribe to that. And I think it, at least half the country does and will. 
Just to wrap up the show with Andy and Chris, I wanted to throw some quickfire questions at them to help provide a bluffer's stroke idiot's guide to American politics. So, question number one, will law and order become the defining issue of the campaign more so than the pandemic? Andy? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, this is not a lighter note at all, by the way, Graham. <laughs> but, no, that's true. But <laughs> I, <laughs> this is this is just as no, dark. Uh, uh, law and order will become the defining issue because Trump will make it that way. Um, again, you, you can't blame the pandemic on the Democrats, but what you can do is say that uh, things are going to get a lot worse if the Democrats are in power. So yes, I, I think it'll become the de- defining issue of of the campaign and i think uh trump's violent uh rhetoric is going to get a lot worse yeah for sure okay definitely a lighter question this time then what u.s themed snack should brits prepare for themselves um to watch the election night coverage if they're staying up andy i'm somebody who cares a lot about my snacks and uh you know we already know you guys do beer really well so you've got that handled for election night coverage but if you're going to, uh, I, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area. Um, if you want a regional snack, it's going to knock your socks off. Have you guys, do you guys have hot dogs? Y'all have hot dogs over there? Yeah, we, we all have hot dogs, yeah. Okay, yeah. listen. The Pacific Northwest hot dog is a little spin on the normal hot dog, which is, of course, the uh, uh, mustard and ketchup on a hot dog. That's it, right? Well, in the Pacific Northwest, we put a smear of cream cheese on one side of that hot dog. It cuts out the salt, makes it delicious. You're going to want 20 of them on your grill, uh, your barbie. What do you call them over there in the UK? Uh, barbecue, yeah. Yeah, grill, you're going to need, you're gonna need a, a lot of hot dogs if you're putting cream cheese on there. Uh, and so I, I recommend the classic American hot dog. Well, that sounds disgusting. Uh, Chris, what, what, would you, what would you suggest? Um, well, I'm from central Pennsylvania, uh, and we are very proud of our chips or crisps, as you call them, I believe, yeah. and, and pretzels. But for the sake of this uh, podcast, I'm not going to talk about that. I think uh, an American delicacy, which I think you should have over there, is something called a Frito pie, right. um, which is, uh, do you have Fritos over there? Uh, what, chips, crisps? No. Well, they're, yeah, they're like, a, they're specific, like kind of corn chip. Right. Okay. Um, they're, they're absolutely delightful and greasy and salty and delicious. Okay. Um, but you basically take a bag of Fritos, put them in a bowl, get a can of chili, or you make your own chili at home. Right. Dump them over, dump them over the Fritos. That's a Frito pie. Um, eat it, okay. eat it with a, a fork. You can put, some people put cheese on it or sour cream or whatever you want to put on it. Um, it's absolutely delightful. Okay. Well, America clearly is still number one based on food choices there. <laughs> thanks for joining me, Andy, Chris and Jory. And thanks everyone for listening. Trump's best chance of winning in November seems to be to exploit the protests on America's streets as a way to distract from the rising COVID death toll. In the process, he'll exaggerate the threat of anti-fascist protesters and minimise the dangers posed by extremist groups, suggesting they're different sides of the same coin when the reality is far different. Please do subscribe now for more episodes and make sure you check out HuffPost UK's other podcasts, including Commons People, our weekly look at UK politics, which are all available in the usual places. Thanks very much and speak to you again.
make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.